tonight, Pastor let me know Monday that, that I would be speaking tonight, so uh, we've been preparing for this, and this is, honestly, this is a message I've never spoke before, I've never preached this before, so you're going to get brand new stuff. As I studied, God gave me this. But I just want to ask a question. How many of you in here have ever had any vision troubles? You've had to have glasses, you've had surgeries, you've uh, whatever, anything going on with your eyesight. How many of you, it looks like more than half of you, how many of you have never had a vision problem? Maybe that would be easier to, got two. <laughs> old eyes, yes, old eyes is part of the vision problem. We'll, we'll get it, you got that, all right. So, uh, <clears throat> when I was in first grade, 1959, for those who want to know how old I am, I tried to play baseball. My parents signed me up for this, and I went out, and man, I was so excited, because, you know, we, we grew up in St. Louis area, and Cardinals were the big team, and everybody had to root for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I went out to play baseball, and in 15 games, I swung the bat one time. I still remember this. I got hit by the pitches a lot. I got hit by the balls after they were hit on base, which you're out if that happens, by the way. You can't do that. I figured out that the problem was I could see the pitcher's arm come forward. I had no idea where the ball was after that. I could not see the ball. Had no idea what was going on. You know, and, and I'm, I'm six years old. Didn't have a clue. Well, the next year, I got to second grade, and the teacher moved me from the back of the class, because we sat alphabetically back then in, in the classrooms, but she had to move me from the back of the class to the front just so I could see the board. And then she sent a note home, and the parents said, you need to get his eyes checked. We don't think he can see so well. And sure enough, I needed glasses. And from then on, my eyesight got progressively worse. Till by the time that I, I met my wife, I was wearing prescription glasses. My, my prescription was 2,200, pretty close to blind. What normal people could see 1,200 feet away, I couldn't see it clearly until it was 20 feet from me. They looked like Coke bottles, you know, those real thick glasses. And some of you knew me at that time because when I first came to this church, I was still wearing those glasses. Uh, and I saw some old video the other day, and I'm going, my goodness, those were some thick glasses. And then she talked me into getting some contact lenses, and I used to joke about the fact that they had to have ramps made so I'd get my eyelids to come up over top of those those. Uh, contact lenses and things. And, and so I've just, I've had eye trouble a lot. And then we finally, uh, we didn't tell anybody, but we went out and got uh, LASIK surgery. And literally it was so bad I had to, had to do that twice because the first time they just didn't get it right. You know, I, it was, it was just, it wasn't done. And I had to go back and get it a second time to get it finally corrected so I could do it. And then I ended up over 40 and ended up with having to put, go back to reading glasses for the things that got up real close because I got the other problem. Instead of myopia, I had presbyopia. There are a lot of things that can affect our eyes. By the way, one other thing that's happened in, just in the last couple of years is I'm starting to develop a cataract in this eye. I mean, I'm, I'm having problems with my eyes. It's, it's been an issue through my life. But 
I'm able to see, and I can literally read this without the glasses this car away. So, this, so the surgery's working, and, and I'm getting by, and I'm way better than some people. But there's a lot of things that can affect it. One is called amblyopia. I think we've got some of these so you can see these up here. Uh, more popularly known as lazy eye. Then there's people who are colorblind. They can't see red or green, or maybe they can't see any color at all. My, my grandfather was like that. Uh, we would talk to him, and we'd say, well, what color car are they driving? He goes, some shade of tan. I'm not sure, you know, because everything was tan to him. He didn't have a clue what color it was for them. Then we have the dry eye syndrome. We've all seen those commercials for restasis where they can't get enough tears in their eyes, and they, they let you put, squirt that into the inability to produce tears. Then you have the hyperopia, which is farsightedness. That's the inability to see objects that are up close clearly, but you can see things that are way off very well. Then myopia, which is what I suffered from, was nearsightedness. I could see things very close. I just couldn't see anything far away. And then presbyopia, which is Greek for elder eye. Isn't that a neat term for that one? It's difficult to see things close up for those that are in their 40s or older. We Sometimes our eyes just don't keep adjusting like they need to. And then the last one that I've got on here is strabismus, which is misaligned eyes. Now, some of you might know Marty Feldman. Uh, this is somebody who has the misaligned eyes. When you're talking to them, you don't know which eye to look at. All right? It's nothing they've done wrong. It's just part of the thing. It's part of the vision troubles. So not only do many people suffer from vi- physical vision problems, but a lot of people suffer from spiritual vision problems. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Some of them might have the spiritual lazy eye. You see a problem, you just don't do anything about it. Uh-oh, got quiet now. Maybe we got spiritual color blindness. We may not pay as much attention to the plight of some people because of their race. And maybe we don't even recognize we're doing that. It's just, that's what we do. Or spiritual dry eye syndrome. We may lack compassion. We don't cry for people who are hurting. We don't see it, or we, you know, we, we, they're hurting, but oh well. Or maybe we've got spiritual farsightedness. We can give to overseas missions, but we don't see the pain, suffering right in our own communities. We just want to help those people overseas. Or maybe we got spiritual nearsightedness. We see all the problems in our own family, our own community, but forget about all those people outside of here. We can only see what's right here. Maybe we have the spiritual presbyopia. Our compassion for people may have gotten a little weaker as we got older. What things we, you know, as we get older, sometimes we get more cynical. We've done seen, well, we know what they're doing. You know, they're bringing it on themselves. And we kind of get cynical with it. Or maybe we have the misaligned eyes, the spiritually misaligned eyes. We have our eyes focused on worldly things. Instead of on heavenly things, we're looking at the wrong side of things. And that's the kind of things we want to talk about tonight. There's an interesting passage in your Bible. Did you bring your Bibles tonight? Turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Now, this is not my main text, but it serves as an eye opening illustration. Yes, the pun is intended. (laughs) Mark chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in all of the versions tonight. I decided just to stick with the NIV straight through. I don't always do that, but tonight I'm going to stay with the NIV all the way through tonight. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 22, says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. 
He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. When This is kind of an unusual passage. How many of you would like to go to an eye doctor and you say, I'm not seeing? He said, come here, and he spits right in your eyes. Very hygienic. <laughs> this is what, yeah, though, this is a way to get the healing. Let me spit in your eyes here tonight. We're going to make it happen. But this is what he did. Now, maybe it's possible, I'm just guessing at this, it's possible that he was trying to help him open them because, because he was blind, his eyes may have gotten matted shut. He was just trying to wipe some of the stuff out of the way so they could open back up. That may have been what was going on. And when he did, he, he opened his eyes and he could see, but he couldn't see clearly. He couldn't distinguish people from trees except for when they moved. He could say there was moving there. So he touched him again, and then it says he sees everything clearly. And I can relate to that because when I had my first LASIK surgery, we would go to Walmart, and I'd see somebody at the other store, and they're waving, and I'd wave back. I didn't have a clue who they were because I couldn't see them clearly. I could just tell there was somebody down there waving at me, and I, or at least I thought they were. <laughs> they may not have been waving at me. I just thought they were. So the second surgery fixed that so that I could, I could definitely see that far away and do it. But the unique thing in today's world is some of the Pentecostals, we would look at this and say, the only way to get your eyes healed, pastor needs to spit in your eyes. There's another scripture where when Jesus healed them, he didn't spit in their eyes. He spit in the dirt, made mud, put it in their eyes, and made them go down and wash their eyes out. There's another place where Jesus healed them, and he just touched them, and he healed. We would start three different denominations today. We'd have the spitites, the mud and spitites, and the no mud and spitites, and we'd have three different churches going here, because you have to heal that way. Uh, I was talking with uh, Pastor Brian uh, earlier this week, I think Monday, was talking about how sometimes we get so focused on things. And I remember growing up in Pentecostal church where one of my friends was in a country church and they had one of those pot-bellied stoves in the middle of the church in the wintertime and it heated the church up. And he got baptized in the Holy Spirit hugging that stove. And he thought everybody had to get the Holy Spirit hugging that stove. And we're going, stop that. That, you know, just because God chose to work that way one time, God can choose to work however He wants to work. All right? So we don't need to set up doctrines over one little scripture. But it seems that many of us, though, are like this man. We've met Jesus. He's opened our eyes, but we really don't see people clearly. We all have a lens. We have our assumptions. We have our paradigms. We have our judgments. All of these things kind of influence how we see the world and how we see other people. So let's look at what the Scripture says about how Jesus sees people. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus, a pastor read this Scripture, I think, Sunday morning. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
1 Samuel chapter 16, this is a scripture many people have quoted for years. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Lord looks at the heart. See, how can we learn to see the way Christ sees? How can we look at people and see what God sees when he looks at them? How are you glad that when God looked at you, he didn't see just the outside? You know, he saw potential there that nobody else could see. When God called me to preach at the age of 12, I still remember the service uh, there, and I thought he'd made a major mistake. Uh, you know, I remember praying that morning and saying, ah, there's something wrong with this. You know, this, I did not understand you correctly. I couldn't say anything in front of people. We were going to a small little church, probably ran about 100 people. Maybe on a good Sunday, we had 100 people there. And I knew everybody in it. I'd been in this church for some time. But if I had to say anything in front of them, I'd stand there and cry. First time I got up in front of church, I just stood there. I still remember Dad trying to get me to sing. And I just stand there crying my eyes out. Couldn't say a word from it. God's calling me to preach. That's just not going to happen. In high school, I went to high school from first grade all the way through 12th grade with the same kids. Knew every one of them. I could not get up in front of a classroom and say anything. He had to have the wrong number, but God saw something inside there. He looked beyond the outside. He says, I can make this happen. Now, it's not me because I can't do this. This is God through me helping me make that happen. But God saw this and he, he, he can help make this happen. I want us to move on into our we, uh, main text. We want to learn how to see like Christ. We've given him our hearts, but now we need to give him our eyes. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We want to learn why Jesus saw people the way he did and how we can see like he does. Because it's important for us to look at people and see potential or see what God sees when he looks at them. And to learn to love people in a way God learns to love, God has loved them. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. Now, before, before I keep going on to read here, I need to point out this passage right in front of this one is where Jesus was being tempted uh, out in the desert by Satan. He's tempted there. But between verse 13 and verse 14, several months have passed. How many of you have a chronological Bible you've ever read? I love the chronological Bible. There was five years straight, that was all I read. I just read that because it puts things in the order which they happen. And it kind of, when you read that, it said, oh, that's why they're doing this. And it kind of fits in a little better. And if you get a chronological Bible, you'd see that the events in John chapter 2 and 3 uh, happened in between verse 13 and verse 14. There were some miracles there, some healings, some preaching that Jesus had did, all of that happened. So in verse 14 and 15, it says, news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Everybody praised him. Now, if you're just reading that straight through and you say, we came right out of the wilderness tempted by Satan. Well, how did news of him spread? All he's been doing is been out there by himself. It's because you got to get it in chronological order to see how that goes. Uh, so I just want to throw that in there. Jesus was starting to get famous in this area. People are starting to know who he was. Let's go on to verse 16. Verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day 
He went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The pastor also read that Sunday telling you how that he, he came in as his custom was. He went into the church. Let me kind of set the scene for you here with this. Jesus had returned to his hometown, the town he grew up in. It's a town where everybody knew him. In a couple of weeks, I'm going back to my hometown uh, for our 45th class reunion. We're going to get back and see some of my high school friends. When I grew up there, the town only had 2,000 people in it. Everybody knew everybody. We'd all lived there for all the way through. When I was a teenager, uh, I had a car that uh, I'd bought myself. All, every vehicle we ever had, my parents didn't give it to. We had to buy them. So we'd, I bought our car, but my mom borrowed it one time. And she's driving through town. She said, she said, I had to wave at so many people going through town because they all thought it was you driving that car. She goes, I'm waving all these people. But we knew everybody in that town. And now the town is about 20,000 people, and I don't know anybody out there because I've been gone so long. It's, so it's, it's a different community now. But Jesus had just returned. It's a town he grew up in. It hadn't been gone that long. It's the Sabbath day, probably in the morning. He goes to the synagogue, which is what Jesus had been doing all the other towns. The synagogue is filled with people. The men, the sons, they're sitting on the benches. The benches didn't have any backs, so they're all sitting on the benches uh, there. And the, in the balcony, we have the wives and the daughters and the sisters. In the front row, there's a row of elders sitting there. One of them, who's the attendant for the day, he gets up to introduce Jesus. He gets up and he says, now, the guy that's going to speak today really doesn't need any introduction. You all know him. He grew up here. You've, you've seen him around. He's going to read our scripture for today. Let's make him welcome. Jesus, the son of Joseph. And I can, I can just picture this happening as they do this. And Jesus gets up and, and he walks over to the uh, middle of the room where there's kind of a raised desk, kind of like a podium. People are excited to hear from him because they've heard all these amazing stories. His fame had been spreading around. They've heard all these amazing stories about him. And this is their hometown boy. The attendant then goes and he gets this scroll. He brings it to the podium. He hands it to Jesus. It's a scroll with the writings of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus starts unrolling the scroll to the place where it's prescribed for him to read. It was already set up. This is what he should read. Now, there were no chapter or verse references back then. Those were put in later in the descriptions. They weren't there. So he's rolled down to that spot. He's got to the passage that today we call Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And then he begins to read it in a way that sounds different from how everybody else has read. He's not reading it like he's reading something that's 400 years old. He's reading it like it's all about him. He speaks the first line, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, when he says this, it's, it's totally different than how some other people, it sounds like he's identifying with it. In fact, if you look back at verse 14 in this chapter, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 
That's how he came back. So as he's reading this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because, and he continues reading, but these words all has, have new meaning now. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me. Are you getting this picture? They're sitting there and they're listening on. What? He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up the scroll. Hands it back to the attendant. Sits down. The Bible tells us everybody is looking at him. They're all fastened. Their eyes are staring at him. They're glued to You could hear a pin drop. And then he breaks the silence with these words. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine what it had been like to be in that service? As he says that. This is like a slam dunk moment. This would be, in today's world, this would be, he would say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and he'd drop the mic. I've said it all. People started buzzing in there because they knew this passage applied to the Messiah. Jesus was saying, he's the one that Isaiah is writing about. He was the Messiah, and that this passage was his mission statement. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So what was his mission? And I want you to listen to this. You may want to even take some notes. You should know these things, but this is our mission too. Number one, Jesus' mission was to preach good news to the poor. Now, in this day and age, a lot like today, the thought process is if you had money, You were blessed by God, but if you were poor, you weren't living right. And they thought this, and this was a problem, and and they felt like that being poor was a sign of God's judgment back then. And Jesus said, no, I've come to bring good news to the poor. I've come to bring you hope. And this... This is part of his mission. He's looking at them saying, I want to, he's turned the tables and he's given them good news. They're favored by God. How many times have you ever felt like you were out of favor with God? Received an email this week from somebody saying, it's like somebody's praying against me. Everything's going wrong. I can't seem to make it anywhere. You ever felt like that? We've all probably had that feeling in, sometime in our life. And Jesus says, I'm coming to bring good news to you. Number two, his mission was to proclaim freedom to the prisoner. Whether you're literally imprisoned or whether you're spiritually imprisoned, Jesus has come to set you free. This is what he's saying. This is my mission. I'm bringing good news to the poor, and I've come to set the prisoner free. Number three, his mission was to give sight to the blind. Now, the blind were thought to be blind because of some sin they had committed, or maybe their parents had committed. Uh, the religious leaders figured they must deserve to be blind. Say, well, how do you know that? Well, let me show you some scripture. Turn over in your Bible to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1, he says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples 
ask him. Now, these, his disciples are asking him this question. This is their thought process. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? They felt like if you were, if you were blind, it was because there was sin in your life. And in the Pentecostal church, I've lived, I've lived through that time where if there's something wrong with you, it's because you've got sin going on there. We, it, all this teaching has been in the church. Now, we, everything that's been weird, we've had it. <laughs> we have had it all in our churches. The disciples thought this, and Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. But you see how judgmental we in the church can become? They looked at blind people and said, they must deserve this. They've done something wrong. And Satan wants to put that thought in our mind. When things are going wrong, well, you deserve this because you, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. And he starts accusing us of things. That's his title. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to make us feel bad. So he comes along and starts accusing us of things that really aren't true. But you know the, the old saying, you know how to tell when the devil's lying? His lips are moving. All right? If he's throwing thoughts out there at you, it's a lie. And he's trying to tell them that, well, you know, you've got this issue in your life and it's because you're a sinner. It's because you've, you're the problem. You've got it. We start to look for the reason. Well, who sinned? Maybe they're, they're getting that curse from their parents. And I always love that in the Old Testament. They, they love to talk about the generational curses and talk about how it's going to go to the third and fourth generation. But they skip the very next verse, which says, but if they serve God... They'll be blessed for a thousand generations. And nobody wants to talk about the blessings. They all want to claim that curse. <laughs> Let's start claiming the blessings of God. Amen? Start looking. Just start, if you're, A thousand generations are going to be blessed. That's what we want to hang on to. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus came to heal. He came to show mercy to people who were physically handicapped. And he came to show mercy to people who were spiritually condemned. That's, that was his vision. That should be who we should be looking for. Number four, Jesus' mission was to release the oppressed. Jesus came to set wrong things right. He came to help the helpless. He came to bring justice to those who experienced injustice. This is what he's coming to do. This is his mission. Number five, Jesus' mission was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference to the Old Testament year of Jubilee when slaves are freed and all debts were cleared. Jesus claimed, came to proclaim that if you are enslaved by or in debt to sin, that you're going to be free and all debts are paid because of what He is going to do on the cross. He came to set us free. That already excites you. Jesus' mission was a people-focused mission. It wasn't about building buildings. It wasn't about building an earthly kingdom. It was about building people. It was about getting people restored, giving people hope. It was an outward-focused mission. It was a mercy and compassion-driven mission. And his mission was the secret to his vision. His mission guided his vision. His mission was the lens that made him see people the way he saw them. People were Jesus' mission. His lens was compassion. 
The word used for compassion in the New Testament is only applied to one person in the New Testament, one real person. Now, it does talk about the good Samaritan having compassion, but he was a parable person, but also a type of Christ. But only Jesus did they use this word compassion for him. Scripture tells us that Jesus felt compassion when he encountered the sick. He felt compassion when he encountered the blind. He felt compassion when he encountered the demon-possessed. He felt compassion when he ran into those people who had lost a loved one. He felt compassion when he ran into people who were hungry. He felt compassion when he saw people who were lonely. He felt compassion when he saw people who were just bewildered. He was compassionate. His lens of compassion guided his action, it guided his reaction, and it guided his interaction with everybody he came to. Because he saw you and he had compassion on you. He saw you and said, I love them anyway. He saw these people and said, I can help them. Now here's another passage that shows how Jesus saw people a little differently than than kind of everybody else did. Turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 down to verse 36. That's where we'll start reading verse 36. I'm hoping that by the end of this message, we'll start wanting to look at people and start, instead of being judgmental, Instead of saying, well, they got what they deserve coming to them, or they put themselves in this place, we'll start looking at them saying, I want to see them the way Jesus sees them. I want to see them the way he sees them. And I want to see what he can do. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees, who were the Pharisees? They were some of the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. They were part of the Jewish elite. Now the Pharisees were ones who did believe in the resurrection or life after death. They were that part of that group there. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet. Pastor's been teaching on prophets here on Wednesday nights, telling you that this guy's thinking the Old Testament prophet. If he were a prophet, he could see this. He would know better. He would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled? You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman. He said to Simon, you see this woman? I come into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. 
Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, and said, your sins are forgiven. Look at this picture. Try to, try to put this in your thing. If you go back up to the beginning of this, it says he comes into this house and he reclines at the table. How many of you have recliners at your table? <laughs> well, all of us that eat in the living room in front of the TV probably do. Uh, but they're, you know, they're reclining on your back. It says that he probably was laying on his side because she came up behind him and his feet were out where she could get to them. So he's laying at the table eating. And she comes up behind him and, and she starts, it says it's a sinful life in the town. Everybody knew her. We, uh, 2000... I think about 2002, my wife and I went with a team of medical people over to Lithuania. It had just, shortly after, I'm not sure the exact year, but shortly after they had left the Soviet Union. And uh, we came over there to, to a medical team. We went way up north uh, to a little bitty town. We flew, flew into Vilnius and then got in some vehicles and drove up through there for a long ways to get up this little small town. We stayed in, in what was a Catholic schoolgirl's dorm uh, there, uh, at the, for, there at the spot. We stayed in their dormitory for the week. And every day people would come in to see the doctors and, and get their health care checked. And one day I watched this young lady come in. It's a small town, a couple hundred people, not very big at all. And we saw everybody in town. Everybody came out for that week. Uh, to see us. It was kind of unique. There was a Catholic church in town, and he heard we were coming, and he wasn't real happy about it. So he went door to door, and he told everybody, he said, look, if you go down to the free medical clinic that the Pentecostals are bringing, I won't baptize your babies or bury your dead. And he was the best advertising we had because everybody heard free medical clinic, and they didn't go to the Catholic church anyway, so it didn't matter to them. So they just all showed up. I mean, they were all out there. And uh, we're there, and everybody was just sitting in the room. is just crowded. Everybody's all lined up. And then on the third day, in the morning, this blonde girl, young girl in her 20s come in and she sat down. And when she sat down, everybody scattered. Everybody just split apart. And I thought, what is going on? You know, I'm not medical, so I, I wasn't back in the rooms. My job was to entertain the crowd out front. I got to carry the things for the doctors and stuff and, and talk to the people out there. And I had to always talk through an interpreter. So I asked just could you tell me why everybody split apart? She was the town prostitute. Everybody knew her, and they wanted nothing to do with her. That's how this lady had to, she was a sinful woman, it says, and everybody knew this. She was a sinful woman, and she coming in there, she learned Jesus was there, she brought this alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood, she's wiping his feet, she's wetting his feet down with her tears. She's so happy that he's there. She wiped them with her hair. She kissed them. She poured perfume on them. And it says the Pharisee who invited him said to himself, he's not even talking out loud. He's saying this to himself. If he were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is. But Jesus understood what he's thinking. He says, Simon, I got something to tell you. And Simon, well, tell me, teacher. And then he tells the story about who's, 
owed what? And he said, well, I suppose it's the older one. And he said, you've judged correctly. Can you imagine, as Jesus rebukes him, he says, you did not do this for me, but she has. You didn't do this, but she has. You didn't do this, but she did. Over and over again, he's talking about how she's done everything she could, and you just thought, because I'm in your house, that was a good thing. Jesus and the Pharisee looked at the same person, but they saw her differently. The Pharisee looked at her judgmentally. She's not one of us. She's not one of us. She's a sinful person. She doesn't belong here. And he's looking at that, and church people are bad at doing that. We're bad at doing that. We love to look at people and see a problem, and then we want to make sure everybody else knows about that problem, because gossip's not a sin, or at least that's the way we act. Church people are bad at doing this, and this religious person, he looked at her, and he just looked at her through the eyes of judgment, but Jesus looked through the lens of compassion. He looked at her differently. And everybody has a different lens that uh, influences how they relate to others it, by that lens and how they look at somebody and they ask themselves a question. Have you ever watched the Academy Award show? And, you know, uh, when it comes on, before the show, they're walking down through the red carpet and everybody's interviewing all these people coming through there and they bring them over and they don't ask what they're wearing, they ask who they're wearing. Who are you wearing tonight? All right? And they're judging them. The next day, who was a hit and who was a miss? They're judging them based off their outfits. Now, if it was me walking down, I'd be going, why are you walking here? You know, why are you wearing that? It'd be a total different thing because they, they'd look at me and go, what? Walmart? <laughs> Imagine somebody who's got a lot of money and they look at you. How are they going to judge you? Some of them, I, I used to work with a guy. He worked in the same factory I worked in, but he, money was his thing. Money was a big deal to him. Uh, and uh, he, he was a golf pro that worked at a golf course, but then he also worked at a factory. And he wouldn't play golf with you even up. There had to be some money in it for him. If he couldn't win money, he would do whatever he had to do. He'd say, I'll play three. You pick out which three clubs you want me to play with. I'll use those three clubs and still give you a dollar hole, and that's the way you play. And I'm going, you know, I've never played a game. I don't think we're going to take you up on this thing. Uh, but it was all about money for him. And when he would look at people, he'd say, literally, he'd say, I bet I got more money than they got. Just kind of judging them. When we lived overseas uh, in Jamaica, it was exactly the opposite. We had all these tourists coming down. And uh, the Jamaicans would look at them thinking, how much can I get from you? What can I sell you today? What are we going to have? How much money do you have that I can get in my pocket? They're poor. They were trying to figure, figure out some way to make a living. Some only made one sale a day. So they saw a tourist. They wanted a sale. They weren't looking at the person, they were looking at the money. See, our filters can be different no matter whether we're rich or we're poor. We all look at people with a filter on it. <clears throat> but I wonder what Jesus asked himself when he looked at people. I'm sure he didn't have one of those bracelets that said WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Uh, 
But he had these thoughts that went through his mind. And I can just picture his thoughts would go, I wonder how I can help them. How can I show you God's love? How can I touch you with some grace? How can I heal you? How can I right a wrong? See the difference in the way people look at people? Jesus is trying to figure out what he can do to help you. And we look at people at what we can get from them or what can they do for us. And if they can't do anything for us, well, we don't have any use for them. We need to start looking at people the way Jesus looks at people. Wouldn't it be great to come into the house of God with a total different perspective in our mind instead of coming in and saying, God, it's been a tough week. And I need someone to, to, to bless me. I'd really like one of those Pentecostal handshakes, God, today that somebody comes here and sticks some money in my hand and they're shaking. I really, wouldn't it be great if you came to church going, God, who can I bless today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I lift up today? See, we come with a different perspective. We got Jesus' vision as we're looking at it. That would be a great way to come in. Tonight, I want us to ask ourselves, what lens are we looking at or looking through when we view people? Are we looking to be judgmental? Are we looking with compassion? Let's ask Jesus to help us see people the way he sees them. And we get his vision. Our main thing is to see everybody accept Jesus as their Savior. It should break our hearts when we see somebody who's hurting in life, someone who's struggling. So let's go back and look at those spiritual eye troubles I showed you at the beginning. Let's see if any of those apply. Don't raise your hand if it's you. How many of you might have a lazy eye? We, we see a problem. We sure wish somebody else would do something about it. Or we think it's our job to call somebody. Pastor, you know they got a problem. You need to help them. Or how many of us may be colorblind? We, we don't even realize it, but when somebody comes up and they're not looking like us, we may not pay as much attention to their problem. Or maybe we got the dry eye syndrome. We lack compassion and we don't cry for people. Who are hurt. It doesn't bother us. We could be farsighted. We'll give to overseas missions, but we don't do anything for our local community. Or maybe we got nearsightedness. We see all the problems in our family or our community, but we can't see anything overseas. Maybe we got the spiritual presbyopia. Our compassion may have grown weak as we've gotten older. We've just gotten too cynical. Or maybe our eyes are just misaligned. We focus too much on worldly things and how much we can get and what we've got to have. And we're not looking at what God's looking at.